As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome once again to this week's edition of the C.S. Lewis Podcast. It's Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, sitting in once again for Ruth Jackson as we bring you some bonus material. And last week we heard the beginning of my interview with Max McLean, founder and director of the Fellowship of Performing Arts and the person behind the new C.S. Lewis movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. You'll be continuing to hear our conversation in just a moment's time. Before we get to that, uh, you may be aware that the C.S. Lewis podcast is part of a range of podcast shows and resources from Premier Unbelievable. And we've got a special event coming up. Unbelievable.live is the place to go for a special Q&A, live Q&A with Oxford professor and thinker John Lennox. That's coming up very shortly on Tuesday the 7th of December from the time we release this podcast. Uh, So if you would want to be part of that live, then make sure you're booked in at unbelievable.live. Doing it in partnership with the film's producers, Karis Productions and Pensamore Films. They've produced a, a new video documentary of John's life called Against the Tide. But last chance to get booked in for this uh, special live Q&A. Be part of it at unbelievable.live. Well, the second part of our interview with Max McLean now. Uh, Max is the performer and director behind the new C.S. Lewis movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. And if you want to find out more about it, how to possibly view it, uh, when it'll be on general release, that kind of thing, check it out at cslewismovie.com. And for all things C.S. Lewis, you can also visit our show page at cslewispodcast.com. I never cared for my name, Clive Staples. The world came to know me as C.S. Lewis. Perhaps you've read my books. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is the most famous, but there's one story that's not so well known. It's my story. And who better to tell it than me? Max, tell us um, about the two other actors, key actors, because obviously this traces the journey through Lewis's life. You're there as sort of introducing and then you're, it's a beautiful way in which you weave yourself into the scenes with the other Lewises. It's very, very well done. But tell us about these other actors who I think that the younger of which is, has gone on to become quite, quite a name recently. Haven't they? Yes, yes. Well, the, the structure of the film is, is uh, we begin to live in Lewis's memories. Uh, Lewis is probably, uh, this, the, his age would be around 52, uh, right around 1950. The reason we select 1950 is because it's pre-Narnia and it's pre-Joy Davidman. Both of those mm. things are yet to come. But uh, Lewis had already uh, begun writing his autobiography 
and uh, uh, and he looks back on the time between 1908 when his mother died of cancer when he was nine to 1931 when he took communion for the first time since he was a child at Holy Trinity Church in in uh, uh, Headington uh, just outside Oxford uh, Christmas in 1931 he was 32 years old so that's the period and so when he looks back we, we cast two actors introducing a, a, a marvelous boy actor to play the boy Lewis named Eddie Ray Martin, who's just uh, just so charming and kind of a bit of an urchin. He, he, he looks to me like what Lewis would look like at <laughs> nine years old. And of course, you know, the, the struggles with his father come through and, and the devastation of the loss of his mother comes through. Uh, then by the time the story gets to about 16 years old, the actor changes to uh, an older, uh, a young Lewis, the Lewis that goes off to war, the Lewis that becomes the young scholar at Oxford. And uh, that's played by Nicholas Ralph, who uh, who's making a name for himself in Britain and in America as James Harriet in All Creatures Great and Small. Uh, and he's just marvelous as the young Lewis. And, and, uh, and so the play, uh, the film goes back and forth, uh, into, and of course we cast, uh, the mother, the father. We have the great knock. We have Tolkien, Dyson, and, uh, uh, Barfield are all part of the, of yeah, the movie. that, that's the lovely thing. You, you, lots of these characters who were so influential on Lewis are brought to life as well in, in the course of the film. Um, you mentioned there the, his first communion and, and I'd forgotten this from, from having obviously read it at some point in, in his memoirs and so on. But, but he, he regarded this as a, a terrible thing that he did to, to have gone through confirmation and communion without actually having believed any of it. Um, I mean, just describe what Lewis says about this and, and why he, felt so guilty afterwards about this well <laughs> he he said it was the worst act of his life <laughs> he's uh and i and i uh you know sometimes the let me see if i can actually find uh the the words the worst act of his life was uh uh yes do, do your could, best cs yeah Lewis. he said we'll, we'll get a taster here uh he says uh I allowed myself to prepare for confirmation, be confirmed, and make my first communion all in total disbelief, acting a part, eating and drinking my own condemnation, he says. <laughs> I knew I was acting a lie. I simply could not tell my father my real views. Not that he would have stormed. Let's talk the whole thing over, he would have said. But the thread would have been lost at once. Here again, he's talking about his relationship with yes. his father. His arguments, I would not have valued a straw. The beauty of the authorized version, the Christian tradition. Oh, it was all sentiment. Nor could I, uh, it was all sentiment. And if I tried to make my exact points clear, there would have been thunder from him and a thin peevish rattle from me, nor could the whole subject ever have been dropped. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great moment in the film. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I mean, what, what did, what did, did you learn in the process of both creating the stage play and obviously doing the film about Lewis that perhaps you, you hadn't quite realized in, in, you know, before having obviously been a fan of Lewis for some time up to that point? Uh, 
Well, the, the thing I think everybody discovers with Lewis is you never get to the bottom of him. You know, that's why people keep coming back to him. Uh, it just is a, it's a bottomless pit, uh, mostly because his intellect and his emotion are so tied together. That's why it makes it really work theatrically. Uh, it all combines. So it's not like he's just a head, you know, where so many academics are, uh, or he's just this, you know, just all emotion where, you know, he brings it all together. And, and I think, uh, and, and he's so transparent. You know, I've always been uh, kind of struggling because he was a very private person that just uh, shouted from the rooftops his most private thoughts. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's a strange kind of um, yeah contradiction in terms, isn't it? But but I know exactly what you mean. He 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 wasn't an extrovert exactly but he was yeah incredibly transparent when it came to his actual writing and, and very honest you know about his his shortcomings and and everything else um i mean to tell to, let's talk about the conversion itself because obviously that that's at the center of this film mm -hmm. and what many people don't realize is that this was a multi-stage journey that lewis went on do you want to just describe what those stages were and, and how you bring them out in the film yeah it's uh, it's a little tough uh, you know uh lewis in uh it, it what he describes it in pilgrim's regress or he he said it was you know he thought that his conversion was from atheism to idealism to pantheism to theism he says uh he thought that that it was a conversion a lot of people went through. He says, nobody goes through it like that. He says it was like, he, he compared it to uh, somebody's travels through the Gobi Desert as being as obvious to the general public as the rail from Oxford to London. <laughs> you know, uh, and so he, uh, he starts with, uh, you know, atheism and then idealism. And that, that sort of happens with Barfield. You know, uh, it's like, uh, are your moral and aesthetic, uh, uh, is, is your moral aesthetics valid, uh, meaningful? He says they are. Is, is, uh, is logic, uh, does logic and deduction lead to, uh, indisputable truth? He says it does. Mm. So, it, and so Barfield says then, well, your materialism has to be abandoned, mm. uh, mm. because otherwise it's all, uh, your materialism says that you have to trust your mind, and you can't. Mm. Uh, it's all biochemistry and physics, and and uh, and that just uh, Lewis was shocked by that because his reasoning was it's all natural selection, random mutation, uh, allowing humans yeah. to have a reproductive advantage and, over and, other species. You kind of represent this in the film as as this conversation that happens in Lewis's rooms between himself and Barfield and and but what it was you know I recently reread Miracles by Lewis and and it was all you know chiming with that obviously so but are you saying that really it was Barfield who first kind of put those ideas in his head you know that he was the originator of at least challenged him I think they were already yeah. there uh, but they challenged him because you know he didn't want to have anything to do with the supernatural. Uh, his, he had something called the new look, which was to just be, you know, just the straight and narrow, uh, don't do anything that, that's out there in the theological world, the supernatural world. 
uh, because he, you know, he, he also had a taste for the occult, uh, which mm. was something that I didn't uh, know. Uh, so anyway, so he's dabbling, and I guess Barfield allowed him to to ground it into reality. I think he makes a very famous statement uh, in um, uh, where is it in Surprise by Joy that. Uh, you know, he said that uh, my first step was to abandon the absurd notion that the universe is an arbitrary alternative to nothingness. That was mm-hmm. the first step. And that that led him to an idealism that God is out there. Uh, you know, if Hamlet and Shakespeare could ever meet, uh, it would have to be Shakespeare's doing. In, in Lewis's original uh, experience, uh, Shakespeare's way out there and Hamlet's down here, they never meet. Uh, and he says, but what if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play? Mm. And that's where it became more theistic for him. Theistic in the sense of the God of the Bible, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At one sense, he says, uh, my God was like the God of the Jews. Uh, and he couldn't come to terms with uh, Jesus until much, much later, uh, and particularly well, through that walk well, without well, a well, well, let's get get this in in place then, because obviously the title of the film and the stage play comes from a a, a very well known passage in in Lewis's. I think it is a surprise by joy where he he says he talks about one particular night in his rooms in Oxford when he's in turmoil and he feels like God has been chasing him down until finally he relents and kneels and prays. At that point, the most dejected and reluctant convert in the whole of England. Um, now, now, what is he actually at that point converting to? Because it becomes apparent, I think, in the film that he starts to go to church at that point. He starts to sort of take on, if you like, wants to do something to, to fly to his flag, of, he said. Yeah, fly his flag. Um, but but it doesn't feel like he's kind of embraced at that point full bodied Christianity. Is that fair to say? No, but but. Uh... What's very interesting is he embraces full-bodied theism. Mm. You know, that God is real, that God is God, you know, that that he owes his allegiance to the God who made the universe. He just can't. And so to you and I, who grew up in the Christian tradition, we immediately apply a Christian interpretation of that. But he said that I knew nothing of the incarnation. The God to whom I served was not human. That's, you know, but it was, mm. but he, but he did not think the universe was arbitrary. He thought the universe was purposeful and he owed his allegiance to his creator. So, in, uh, so in a certain sense, he gives tremendous, uh, support to theism. Uh, uh, and I, and I think we sort of discount that a little too yes. much. Yes. Uh, it, it's just so interesting, though, because there, there's these various moments. You know, there's one thing where he's on a bus and he says, by the time I walked off the bus, you know, I'd decided in my mind that, that God existed. And then you've got this sort of more kind oh, that's of the, personal... That's the motorcycle ride. Yeah, that's, the, that's it, the motorcycle ride. There is this famous walk again on um, in the grounds of Magdalen College, isn't it? Um, with, with a very another very very well known writer J.R.R. Tolkien. So t- d- describe what this is, where where you find this in Lewis's own um, memoirs, and and yeah, and how it's represented in the film. But what 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 the big yeah. point of this particular conversation was? Well, first of all, we have to kind of set up the fact that this is J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, you know, two uh, people on Mount Olympus, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, just 
regular everyday uh, colleagues at Oxford in, in uh, 1931, you know, hadn't written anything of any import at that time, who knew what they were going to be, they're having a conversation that pretty much revolutionized the spiritual map of the world uh, from that point on. Uh, the, the key issue was that Lewis was said, uh, sort of admitted to Tolkien that uh, I, I have with great reluctance uh, come to believe in God but not Christianity, he said. And that's a, you know, that's a key point because he couldn't understand how the life and death of someone else, whoever he was 2,000 years ago, could help him or anyone else here and now. He just mm. didn't get it. Didn't understand the Christian uh, revelation at all. Uh, and Tolkien takes a completely different path that, that really is, is quite extraordinary he uses Lewis's, you know, they, they shared a common interest in mythology. Uh, uh, and uh, he says, and so Tolkien asks him, when you meet a god that sacrifices himself in a pagan story, and they're all over the place in pagan history, Baldur, Dionysius, Osiris, all over the place, Tolkien reminds him, you like it very much mm. and are mysteriously moved by it provided you meet it anywhere except the Gospels. And then he makes the point out, the, 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 the story of Christ is a myth, working on us in the same way as other myths, with one tremendous difference. It really happened. It's the myth in which all the other myths point. It's the true myth behind all the myths. And for some reason, you know, I mentioned earlier about when that person said, you know, Jesus was a person just like Lincoln, just like George Washington. That was a kind of moment for Lewis because it made him read the Bible differently, mm. read the Gospels differently. He, he Because in the past, he was probably reading it as a textbook, you know, uh, looking for prescription, you know. But here he was reading the story of a hero, the archetypal hero, where he saw the, you know, as Jordan Peterson would say, the, the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. Mm -hmm. uh, and it changed him because now he had to come to terms with Jesus. And in all this, you know, all of his, his apologetics about Jesus then come to light after yeah. that moment. It, it, it's a really interesting one because obviously up to that point, it had been a very intellectual journey, arguably. Um, at this point, it feels like he his imagination steps into that worldview and suddenly a penny drops. And it's as though, yes, this is what I was waiting for. This is why I because you know, we, we all know that Lewis, you know, was, was a huge fan, um, got so much joy out of the mythologies and the, everything that he was, you know, a scholar of. Um, and, and I think it was this point that that he realized it's real that it's not just I'm enjoying fantasy. It's that the fantasy becomes real in Jesus. There's, there's this sort of touch point with reality where I don't have to be an atheist materialist over here while simply enjoying these, these, the, you know, this other world that, that somehow bears no relation to it. No, these two worlds have, have come together. Um, and that's that I think, I, again, I think you do that so well in, in the book. Um, I, I feel a bit like, you know, you know, Tolkien had his own movie out not so long ago and, and that really underplayed, frankly, his his Catholic faith. Um, 
I feel like we need a Norman Stone version of, of the Tolkien of, story. Of, of as that. Well. Yeah, that could that could happen. That, that Who knows? Could. Who knows? Um, look, why why does Lewis remain so phenomenally influential and and indeed popular, especially in the USA? I mean, um, he's obviously still a great name here in the UK, but but if you know, it's often out of the US actually that I'm hearing the most. You know, fifty years over fifty years on from his death, people are still. Uh, wanting to write, film, talk about Lewis. What, why, why does, what's the enduring appeal there, Max? Um, you know, I've been thinking about this more recently, uh, in many ways, uh, listening to some of your programs, because I think Lewis is a bridge from the postmodern world that we're all steeped in, you know, that, that we're educated in which basically says here we have to live for the here and now and there's very little concern about this other world and Lewis is always talking about this other world and he makes that other world so compelling. Part of it is, you know, he didn't have a formal theological education so he comes to theology from a literary perspective. He, he read everything from the Greeks to the moderns. He had a steel trap mind that could recall everything he said. He had this extraordinary ability to, to translate that into magnificent prose and speech. Uh, you know, I think arguably he's one of the greatest writers who ever lived. You know, I mean, certainly in terms of, of the kind of writing, the kind of reading that I've done. You know, and I've read I've read all of Shakespeare. I read uh, uh, a lot of Dostoevsky. Uh, I've read less and less of moderns because they just don't do anything for me anymore. Uh, but I just find that he allows me to go places uh, supernaturally, imaginatively, theologically that I don't get to any other way. Mm, yeah, and and I think that's. You know, I, I, as you know, I, I work in the world of apologetics and, uh, and we try and find creative ways of bringing it across. But Lewis was the, the supreme, had that supreme ability to use the imagination and creativity, uh, through the written word to, to do that, whether it was screw tape or Narnia or the space trilogy or whatever it was. He, he, he seemed to understand what actually was the winning combination, if you will of bringing the intellect and the imagination together. I think that's what you've done with this film as well. If I, if I dare to say that, I think it's, it's a wonderful way in which you're, you're in that tradition, but sadly um, apologetics as a whole tends to remain very one-sided. It's, it's almost entirely an intellectual pursuit and most, and too often it's divorced from, from the arts, from the imagination. I mean, do you, do you feel like that's going to change? Do you feel like we're heading in the right direction? Because I feel like we need another C.S. Lewis or we all need to become a little bit more like C.S. Lewis. Well, I uh, do think could... that's, that's true, but, uh, there's a, there was a quote, I think it was Austin Farrar and I, I'm, I'm, going to paraphrase it from memory uh but he 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 essentially says see if i can find it that uh yeah in fact it's 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 if you can bear with me it's yeah, probably worth ahead. finding uh because it comes at a uh, I'm, I'm writing a new play called further up further in it's going to be developed next year and uh he tells a wonderful story about uh uh he says, I do suffer from an incurable intellectualism. I love that. He <laughs> says, 
of course, the direct evangelical appeal, come to Jesus, is still remarkably effective. He says, I've seen it done. I love that. Mm, <laughs> I've yeah. seen it done. He says, <laughs> I that. can't do it. But those who ought to do, those who can ought to do with all their might. And he tells a story about a vicar who once asked him to make such an appeal at an RAF meeting during the war. And he said to him, I wish I could do the heart stuff. You do the heart stuff. I'll do the head stuff. Uh, but in this, uh, I was quoting Austin Ferrer. He says, uh, it's not that rational arguments create belief. He says, I don't believe that. He says, on the other hand, I do think the lack of it destroys conviction. And this is the key point. What is proved may not be embraced, but what no one defends is soon abandoned. Hmm. I was really struck by that. Because, you know, we do get a little bit uh, uh, discouraged, you know, uh, by the apologetic enterprise, but we can't stop it. <laughs> because I think this last point, and this is something Lewis believed, but what no one defends is soon abandoned. And that's what's happened at the American University. It's not that they think Christianity is nefarious. They think it's irrelevant. And so nobody defends it. The case is not made, yeah. right? It's assumed. So it's really important. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I guess it's been such fun talking to you max and, and getting to spend some time uh just reliving yeah lewis and the the process that, that has come to be with this film now um uh you've you've got some screenings uh throughout november haven't you in yes. the usa uh what's the best way cslewismovie.com yeah cslewismovie.com i mean right now it's uh it's only it's only in america although we just opened up 43 screens in canada uh, this is, you know, th this is way beyond me. You know, we we work with all the movie chains, and uh, uh, but it's. Uh, I'm really happy to say, uh, tickets are really moving fast. Which does mean that if it's, you know, if it's moving fast, then the movie chains and those people that be the powers that be will open it up uh, to worldwide release uh, after our American release. So I, I do think that, the, and particularly because the subject matter is so evergreen that I do think it's going to have a long life. Yeah. Well, whenever you're listening to this show, just, just check at cslewismovie.com and you'll find out what, what the best ways for where you are to be able to access the film. Um, I mean, do, does this mean the um, the Fellowship of Performing Arts is moving generally in the direction of, of movie and oh, video? I, I, Max? I think so. I think so. In fact, Norman and I are, are, are uh, reading many, many scripts uh, to look at what's the next uh, film that we want to do. Uh, I mean, we're, we're always going to be a theatre company. In fact, we have The Great Divorce on stage right now. I mentioned briefly that uh, I'm working on a, on a new script that's a follow-up because after Lewis's conversion, it wasn't really obvious that he would become the person he became. So sure. what were the steps that led to that? And, and so the, the next piece is called Further Up, Further In, which I'm very, very excited about. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what I was left with at the end of the film was thinking, we've only just got to the point just before he really takes off now you know that there's a whole other story and obviously others have told parts of that story in shadowlands and, and other things but right but I, I i wait with bated breath to see what what you may have in store max um max mclean thank you so much for being with me it's been such fun catching up and all the very best as you continue to promote the film i hope many many people see it and and benefit from it thank you so much justin 
It's been great to have you on. Again, if you want to find out more about the film, do just go to the website, cslewismovie.com. I'll make sure there's a link from today's show uh, so that you can find out more about it. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I spent the evening the other night with Lucy watching it and we both really, really enjoyed it. So, so go and check it out if you can. I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Max McLean today on C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert, the new film that he has written and starred in. And don't forget, if you like C.S. Lewis, Thinking Christianity, that kind of thing, you might want to get along to our special uh, unbelievable live event with John Lennox. It's coming up very shortly, Tuesday, the 7th of December. You can be there with us live via Zoom at unbelievable.live. Simply register for free and you'll be able to join us on the night. For now, have a good week and see you next time.